We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. And God, we thank you for the talent that you've given so many people in our church to lead us in worship. And we are very grateful for that, Lord. It is a wonderful opportunity to come together and to give praises to you. And Lord, we pray that everything we do here in this church would be honoring and glorifying to you, Lord. And I ask this morning that you fill me and empower me with the Holy Spirit that I might speak your truth and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, we're going to move from the book of Galatians. And we're going to, if you remember about two years ago, we, we, we talked about our name. We talked about our church name. What is our church name? Mission Bible Fellowship. And I think it's important for us to, to evaluate our lives and our, and our church's name to see if we are living out what we are named. You know, names are, names are pretty important within the, the household of God. And we name people different things for different reasons. We, we have a great church name, but, but with that church name comes meaning. It comes with a lot of purpose as well as a lot of responsibility. As a church, I believe that it's important that we look at ourselves um, to make sure that we're living through the lens of our very own name as a church. Mission Bible Fellowship. You know... In the Old Testament, we see plenty of names. And as we study those names, we learn that within the name, there's something special about it. Do you remember Sarah and, and Abraham? And, and she was pretty old. Probably not as, you know, as old as what we think. Me, me and Rob were talking about it yesterday. We, we call people old today, but really, you know, 900 years is old. You know, we, we die pretty young <laughs> comparatively speaking, to what they, they, they died at. But, but anyways, if you remember, if you recall, Abraham and Sarah were told they were going to have a child. And, and remember what Sarah did? She laughed, right? Well, you know, when, when she named her child Isaac, you know what Isaac means in Hebrew? Laughter. He laughs. And so, who's laughing now? I think the Lord, you know, got a sense of humor sometimes and... and but, but he gave her a child. And, and the name meant something. And I, what I'm trying to communicate is that in our lives, things, names mean things. You know, we've been blessed with five children. And many people think that I name Hunter his name because I'm an outdoorsman. I like hunting. When in reality, I named him Hunter because when he gets older, I want him to understand my desire for his life is that he goes out and hunts lost souls for Jesus Christ. You see, when we name our children, many times we name them with meaning. Not just the name, but a meaning. And so we, we ask the question, is how do we even come up with our name? What does Mission Bible Fellowship mean? Well, I talked with Lauren a little bit yesterday to ask him about this and about the name Mission Bible Fellowship. When did it start? How did we come up with our name? And he told me it was around 1988 that a group of people named this church Mission Bible Fellowship. They wanted to impress three major truths within this church and throughout Scripture. The first thing they wanted us to understand is that this church was going to be a church that would be mission-minded. 
They wanted to make sure that we were a mission-minded church. They wanted to make sure that we were a Bible-believing church and that we as individuals are fellowship-friendly. And over the next few weeks, we're going to journey through those again like we did two years ago and readdress ourselves to make sure that we're on task to live out our very name. And so today we'll be looking at the first piece of our name, which is being mission-minded. What does it mean to be mission-minded? Well, I think Jesus shows us many examples in His Word. He reveals to us that Jesus was, He still is today, a mission-minded man. And that He had a passion for missions. And He wants us as a congregation, as people, to be mission-minded as well. This morning, the text I want to look at is Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. I would like for each of us to understand the context of chapter 8 as we begin in this message and where it sits in the book of Luke and also the immediate context. So the title of this book comes from the author's name, Luke. Although we have very little information about this man, Luke, what we do know is that he seems to come from Antioch, which explains why the book of Acts is centered on Antioch. And I want to look at three stages of Christ's life within this chapter, before chapter 8, and after as well. So let us look. Number one, we see the introduction of Christ's ministry. We see that in chapter 1 all the way into chapter 4. Here we see Christ growing up as a child, growing up into adulthood. And secondly, we see in chapter 4 to chapter 9, verse 50, we see the ministry of Christ in Galilee. We see Jesus has now returned to Galilee, and there we have... uh, His calling of His disciples. There He reaches out and draws His disciples in and continues His work there. And then in chapters 9 to 19, we see the journey of Christ as He begins to transition from Galilee all the way back into Jerusalem. And He begins His ministry there. And so, understanding the concept of the the book will help us understand what's happening in chapter 8 and where Christ is in His ministry. We see here in chapter 8, there seems to run one consistent theme. And the theme is the Word of God and how we should respond to it. In verses 4, of, verses 4 to 21 of chapter 8, we have the parable of the sower, the parable of the lamp, in which, which expresses our need to hear God's Word. In verses 22 to 25, we have the calming of the sea, if you remember, the need of believing God's Word. And then in verse 26 to 40, we have a demon-possessed man, if you remember, being healed. And we see the need of not rejecting God's Word. And in verses 41 to verse 50, we see the miracles of healing, which shows us the need for experiencing God's Word. The importance of experience in that. And so with a little bit of context, that's a lot of information, but but some people find that very helpful as we approach chapter 8. So with the context in mind, we see Jesus teaching the multitudes with the parables. He and His disciples in verse 22, if you recall from David reading, get into this boat and they decide they're going to cross across the Sea of Galilee. Let's go over to the other side of the lake, He says. Jesus and His disciples are there in the lake. They're getting ready to cross. And what happens? A great storm arises. 
One that was so powerful that it began to swamp the boat. Sometimes in the Sea of Galilee, when the way the mountains are structured, a wind can come through there causing almost like a hurricane force wind, causing that lake to turn into such an ocean with great waves. And that's what we find here. We see a picture of something these men are not used to. It was a major storm, and Jesus is what? He's sleeping. These dudes are terrified, and yet Christ is in the bottom of a boat. I'm sure water's pouring in, or they wouldn't be scared they were going to drown. And yet, Christ is sleeping. I wish I could get that good of sleep. But here, Christ is sleeping. And they go over to Jesus, and, and, and they do whatever they can to get Him awake. I mean, just imagine... I mean, I come from the, from the East Coast. I, I lived on the beach. I've been out in very large storms. I know Gary Rice can, can, can understand this as he, as he spent a lot of time in the ocean. But, but when you get in the sea and it's moving and it's rolling, you can be fearful for your life. And these men, I can imagine, they're shaking Jesus. They're doing whatever they can to get Him up. And Jesus gets up from His deep sleep He's calm, collective, and He simply speaks and calms the sea. Now, unless you've been in the water and you can experience what it's like to be in a storm, to imagine a man that has the authority and the power to simply open his mouth and say, be calm, and the waters flatten. He says, where is your faith? These disciples had just witnessed something that was so authoritative that even the winds and the waves obeyed Him. And that brings us to a text. I'm going to skip over the next few slides just to... Uh, we've already read the Scripture this morning. I'm not going to read it again. But what I want to do is look at the next two slides. Just skip them. And then I want to look at three things, three points that I think will help us better understand God's desire for mission. There's other things that are intertwined in chapter 8 here in the book of Luke, but there's three things that I want us to grasp as it all points to missions. The first thing is, number one, we see the authority of Christ. Secondly, we see the rejection of Christ. And lastly... We see the commission of Christ. We see the authority of Christ, number one. Our first observation of authority that we observe here is that Christ in, is in the boat. These men are in the middle of a storm and is filling up. He speaks. It becomes as smooth as Cedar Lake in the morning time. Christ has just demonstrated a massive amount of authority. And as we come to verse 26, we now see they are going to continue their travels on to the country of the Gennesarts, which is southeast of Sea of the Galilee. At their arrival there in verse 27, we become acquainted with a man that's demon-possessed. He meets Jesus. He doesn't just meet him, he, he, he reaches out to Jesus. This man has, has no control of his body it seems, but, but was under the empowerment of Satan. He was demon possessed. He's without clothes, he's butt naked. 
And he lived among the tombs of the graveyards. And there in this place, we would maybe expect to find some kind of demonic thing like ghosts or other things. But this isn't some ghost story. This isn't some scary novel. This was a man that was under the control of demons. Now while Luke holds off the details at this point, we will soon uh, see his abilities under this possession in which he has. In verse 28, we see the garrison looking and, 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 and taking sight of Jesus. He, he looks out, he sees Jesus, and then he does something. What does he do? He cries out. He runs up to Jesus, he cries out, and he falls upon his face. He falls upon his knees, which is a great picture of complete 100% submission before a king. And so with a loud voice in verse 28, he says, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? This possessed man understood that this was Jesus that was speaking to him. He called him Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. The power and authority Jesus was known by this man. He understood who this man was because the de demons knew him. And he was under the control of the demons. They were aware of his power and his authority. And I think this can be very helpful for us as we begin to understand the authority of Christ with what association and with companionship. What does this light have to do with darkness is basically what he's saying. What kind of fellowship do, do, do unbelievers have with believers? This man was demon-filled and he knew Jesus and himself had nothing in common to do with him. But there was complete separation. What can we learn from just that experience of this man's life? What can we learn in that realm of things? Well, I think there's a lot we can learn. We can expect God to bless us when we fellowship with one another that are of the faith. But, but what about fellowshipping with those that are not of the faith? I'm not talking about evangelism where we intentionally reach out and cross barriers. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about close, knitted relationships with people that are not of the faith. Should we invest our lives into people who are different outside of our faith than those of the faith? This man seemed to think there was no connection. What do we have to do with each other? I'm demon-possessed. I have nothing to do with those who are, who are Christians, so what do you have to do with me? 2 Corinthians here says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have, have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? The, the King James here says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. One translation says it this way, and I think it's convenient. It says, Stop forming inappropriate relationships with unbelievers. Christ is our authority. He is the man in which we must follow. He is the, the picture in which we must live to see when we look in light of the mirror of life. And we need to begin to do things His way but I don't like the word mistake. 
When we say we made a mistake or someone made a mistake, it, it makes it sound like God is not in control of things. We probably just need to say we sinned. We, we did something that God has called us not to do. And I think the worst thing we can do in that is to, to do it twice. You know, loving hearts had, had, I mean, Sparrow's Vine had their banquet last night. And, and, and if you missed that, I'm sure that if you still want to give to that cause, to that ministry, uh, Terry Better would love to, to meet with you and you can talk to her about that. But it's a great time. And, and, and Pat gave a wonderful testimony. But you know, in the life in which we live, when, when we step out, especially young people, listen, young people, perk ears up, because you're going to be tempted in this world to step outside of the marriage to have relations with another partner. But let me tell you, when, when you do that, there's a possibility that you can become impregnated. But listen to me. Don't try to cover up two sins. That's what David did, remember? David stepped out of the realm and, and, and slept with Bathsheba and caused her to be pregnant. Instead of saying, you know what, I failed, I, I sinned, or made a mistake, whatever you want to call it, I like to call it sin. I sinned, and I'm wrong. What did he do? He sinned again to try to cover it. And many times we look at people who have abortions, and they try to cover their sin. And God in the midst of, listen, no child in the womb is there on accident. In the midst of sin, God blessed a child. It's when we do a sin again to cover that in which we have a problem. It's not a mistake. You know, many times as we look at these passages that say, don't be bound together with unbelievers... Listen, I understand there are people. Listen, I understand. I grew up in a home that was divided. I grew up in an unbelieving home. And I grew up where, where, where one claimed to be a Christian and the other wasn't a Christian. Listen, my, my objective today is not to, to say you're wrong. You, 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 you made a mistake. You sinned. Listen, you can't unscramble eggs this morning. God doesn't want you to do that. He can bless the marriage you're in. He can use you as a husband or a wife to bring your spouse to the faith. And God can bless that. God can use it for His glory and for His honor. It's when we try to get out of that. We try to cover it up. We try to fix the problem. Say, you know what, I just made a mistake. And I'm going to trust God's going to bless it. Christ is the authority. And he is the picture. And what we see here is this demonic man understanding that I have nothing to do with Christ. And young people, when you get into relationships with other men and other women, I want it to, for you to, to understand. Don't put yourself in a position in which you are, you are tempting yourself to be in a relationship with an unbeliever. It's not biblical. God doesn't want it. He wants to protect you. He wants you to be united with another person in Christ. He's not discouraging you from, from, from being with another woman or another man, but they, they need to be of the faith. I see people all the time that are in marriages where their spouses are unbelievers. And let me tell you what, it's devastating. They are in pain 
They don't know how to get past it. And they desire nothing more in their heart for their spouse to become a believer. Listen, learn from their experiences. They would tell you the struggles that they have, but God can use it for good. But as young people, beginning the stages of being in relationships with other men and women, don't put yourself in that situation. It's dangerous. So we got this man that sees Jesus. He understands he has nothing to do with Christ because God and the devil can't have nothing in common. Christ commanded this unclean spirit to come out. So here we have another act of authority. Here this man was naked. He's living in the tombs. He's living in caves. He's like a barbarian. We'll see in a minute. He's got unbelievable strength. And yet here Christ says, Get out of him, unclean spirits. They had seized him, which means that they had taken him by force. They had captivated him. In, the, in, the, in these demonic activities that he was in partaking of gave him unnormal power. Power to break through metal shackles. And he was driven by these demons. And in response to these demons, he gives a loud cry. And he asks, Jesus asked this man, what was your name? What is your name? And he told Jesus that his name was Legion. And the Legion in this time, and the definition is, it was a regiment of soldiers that could be anywhere from 1,000 people to 6,000 people. But most of the time, it was a, a Legion was a regiment of five to 6,000 soldiers. And so when he says, my name is a Legion, what does that tell us how many demons possessed this man? Somewhere between five and 6,000 demons. This man had unbelievable power. But, but what happens? What happens? Well, we see there in verse 31 that the demons started pleading when Jesus told them to be removed. They started imploring Christ, begging Him, don't, don't, please don't cast us into abyss. And so there was a herd of swine there feeding on this mountaintop. You know, a couple years ago I had the opportunity to sit right there on the Sea of Galilee and, and, and see the cliff in which most people say was where the swine were that ran off into the, into the Sea of Galilee. So there, there, these swine are on this mountaintop and they begin to plead, these demonics. They said, let us go into that swine. Don't, don't put us into the abyss. That's going to be their final destination. All evil, all, all people who are unrepentant, who don't have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, will be cast into the abyss with Satan and his demons. But they didn't want to go there yet. Yeah, cast us into this swine, please. And Christ permitted for them to enter. He says in verse 33, And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. You see, Christ had authority. He had authority to calm the sea. He had authority over, the, over the, the demonic realm. He had authority to make well this man and restore him back into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. The demons could only beg. We don't need to forget 
this authority. We see the authority of Christ, but secondly, this morning, we see the rejection of Christ. So here in verses 34 to 35, we, we witness what has just taken place. We have the herdsmen that saw this, this miracle, and it shook them up pretty good. I mean, imagine you have a bunch of sheep sitting on a hill, you're watching them, and you have Jesus over here, and Jesus is, is demanding these, this demon-possessed man that, listen, it's not a big area. Galilee's pretty small. If there's a demon-possessed man with 6,000 legions or 6,000 demons in him, pretty much everybody's going to know of this crazy man, this lunatic that's possessed. And here this herdman sitting on a hill with, watching his sheep, shepherding his flock. And Jesus casts these demons out and they enter the pigs. And all of the pigs, all of a sudden... They're off the cliff and in the water and they drown. Now as a herdman, that might mess you up a little bit. This dude has some power. And so they're shook up. And as people begin to see what had unfolded, what had happened in that city and in the countryside, they started finding out that this demon-possessed man was no longer demon-possessed. He was removed from sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's clothed and He's healed in His right mind. This isn't the same guy. God, Christ has just done a miracle in this man's life. And the Greek word that, that's used here is, is sozo. It means saved. This man was saved. This man was set free from the bondage of the demons that was made free, saved, no longer separated from God, no longer an enemy of God, but a child of God. In order to understand missions this morning, and understand the concept of missions and how that affects us as, as believers and as, as members of Mission Bible Fellowship, we must first understand salvation because once you understand your salvation, understand your forgiveness in Jesus Christ, you can't help. You cannot help but tell someone else about it. You know, last night I listened to Pat in her speech, and I listened to Terry, and I, was, I almost came to tears overflowed with the forgiveness that I have in Jesus Christ. God forgives us. He gives us new slate. He wipes us clean. That gives us hope and encouragement to know that no matter what we've done, we can be forgiven. That we can be sozo. That we can be saved. And I want to ask you this morning, has Christ given you that freedom in your life? Has Christ given you the freedom to know that you've been saved? I'm not talking about based off of our culture. I'm not, based, I'm not talking about based off of Dr. Field or, or any other TV program. I'm talking about based off the Word of God. Which says, when you become a new creature in Christ, you're a new creation. The old things have passed away and behold, the new is present. As Christ set you free today. I want you to understand that you and I haven't done anything to receive this grace. This man did nothing to receive this grace. But what? Fall at the feet of Jesus. You 
when you come to the understanding that Jesus is just not some man, but that He is God in flesh, incarnate, when you become to understand that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, not based off of your efforts, not based off of your good works. It's when you come to know who Jesus Christ is and you fall at His feet and you trust in Him. It's then you're saved. You can do that today. But even in the midst of all of this goodness, all of this redeeming power, all of these demons being released from this man, after seeing this man made clean and healed, watching this miracle, what does it say? It says they're afraid. They're afraid. What are they afraid of? They're gripped with fear. And they, what do they do? They don't embrace this man Christ. They ask Him to leave. They run this man off. The Savior of the world. I wonder how many times in our life, we do the same thing. For many years of my life as an unbeliever, in 2001, March 25th, 2001, when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, for many, many years, I would run from those Jesus freaks. And that's what this demon-possessed man was now, a Jesus freak. He had fallen at the feet of Jesus. Jesus had redeemed him. Jesus had saved him. He had gotten rid of all of the demons in his life and now the people were afraid because they were in the midst of someone with authority and they rejected him. We have many people who reject Christ. I was guilty for many years because I didn't want to believe. I wanted to live in my same lifestyle. I wanted to carry on with the same things that I had done for all of my life. The problem was, God didn't want me there. God didn't want me to do the same thing because He knew and understood that it was harmful for me. This should not have run these people off. Jesus said in John 14, Believe in me. Believe because of the works that I've done. When we read these things, we read the Bible as, as absolute truth and accurate, not some, some myth, some Narnia book. It's a book of truth. And when we see that a man is healed, a man is delivered, a man is, is, is casted to demons out of, of this demon-possessed man, we should take it and say, this is a miracle. This is awesome. This man has authority. And it should draw us to him, not push us away from him. God made Himself real in my life and through my Christian walk, through working miracles. You know, last week we talked about having the potential to grow in our faith. Having potential to grow through the reading of our Word. And what I want you to understand this morning is that potential... As we, as we study the Word, as we, as we get into the Word and we read it and we pray and we pray for people... This morning as I was coming into work, I, I passed by several of your houses and I, and I just prayed for you. And you know, I don't know what you're going through. But when I pray for people and I see God answer, that confirms to me more and more over the years of my life that this God is real. He's not some fake, fictitious God. By the actions I've seen in my life, by the way God has provided in, in miraculous ways for me and my family over the last five years, I could not doubt without a shadow of a doubt that the King of kings and Lord of lords is real and true. And I want you to see that authority in your life. 
so that you can grasp and understand the reality of God and His desire for you not to reject Him, but to receive Him. We here thirdly see the commission of Christ. Here we come in verse 38 and 39. He reads this. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. And so the man went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus has done for you. You see, this conversion has changed this man drastically. God has made him something new, enough that the healed man begs to follow Jesus. Let me go with you. These people here, they're running you off and I don't want you to go. I mean, imagine a man, imagine a man that's demon-possessed and you're healed. Put yourself in those shoes. Put yourself in those shoes if you're, in a, if you're sick, if you have some kind of physical ailment. And this man, Jesus, walks up to you and He says, Be healed. Would you want Him to go away? Or would you desire nothing more in your heart to say, I want to follow you and give you everything in my life? Well, listen, this morning I want you to understand that when Jesus Christ saved you, that's what He did for you. And there should be nothing more in our heart to say, Oh, Lord Jesus, give me the desire to follow you. I want to be where you want me to be. I want to do what you want me to do. But Jesus says, No. That's not what I want you to do. That's not what I want you to do. He said, you return home. You return home. Here in verse 30 says, 30, 39 says, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Listen. God has a remnant everywhere in this world. And He has you here as believers as a remnant to Seely Lake. He has you here to, to make an impact in this community, in the lives of, of adults, older people, children, babies. Every unbeliever needs to hear the hope of Jesus. And we are the remnant has been placed here to make it known to these people. He didn't tell him to go off to college and to get some fancy, spancy degree. That, that's important for many people. If that's where God calls you to go. He, he didn't tell this man that he needed to go take some overseas mission trip. He didn't ask him to, to know every word of the Bible. Because guess why? He probably didn't have it. He didn't tell him to go give money to the needy and to the poor. That's important, but that's not what he instructed him to do. 
He didn't tell it to go give the money to some missionary so that they could do the work. He said, you, return home. You see, a mission-minded church starts where? Right here in our own community. Right here in Seely Lake. We do a lot of wonderful things in this community. And I know many of you serve until you're blue in the face. But let me tell you, it's God's call in our lives. And we should be encouraged to do what God calls us to do. Going overseas, I want you to understand this morning, does not make you a missionary. What makes you a missionary is when you do missions right here in this community. Doing missions right here at home. That's what makes you a missionary. The one who testifies and proclaims what God has done for you. And a mission-minded person. That's what a mission-minded person is. And, and we, as a church, need to make sure that we are mission-minded. Well, pastor, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really feel comfortable doing that. Listen, you got a great hope. you got a great message if you've been saved. And to withhold it is to put a murder sentence on somebody's life that doesn't have it. You have been commissioned by God to do this. Well, I don't really have anywhere to do that. I don't have anyone that will, that will, that will listen. Well, i got great news for you. We as a church have a place for you to serve. We're meeting right after this service to talk about VBS. Oh, VBS, that's kids. I don't want nothing to do with that. Let me tell you something. It begins with children. It begins with kids. You want a mission field? You got one. Let's get 150 kids in here, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and allow the Holy Spirit to change their lives. That's where we begin, right here. You want to be mission-minded? Then you should be involved in missions right here in City Lake to the kids of this community in the next two weeks. We've got a lot of work to do as a church together. It's not one person's job. They can't handle it. It's too much. They'll lose their mind if they try to do all of this by themselves. And it's not fair to them. We have a lot of people in this church that are capable. And, and listen, there's many ways to serve. You don't have to be here Tuesday to Friday. There's a lot of work to be done prior to that. And I hope that every one of you are here to talk about VBS when we get done with this service. This church needs mission-minded people so that we can live up to our name. So that we can be those mission Bible fellowship people. Those mission-minded, Bible-believing, fellowship-friendly people. It takes sacrifice. And it takes us to step up for these kids and allow to share the hope of Jesus Christ and the validity of God's Word, and to tell them that God loves them. This man was under the authority of Christ, and as Christians, you and I are under the authority of Christ. At least we should be. And while our family are at the top of our list, that does not negate our responsibilities to evangelize this community. Matthew and Verse 20, uh, chapter 28, 18 through 20 says this. He says, All authority has been given to me. What's that tell you? The dude's got power. Jesus is the man. 
And He's got authority. And He says, I have it. It's been given to me. And therefore He says something. Whatever He says after, I don't care what it is. You and I ought to respond to that because He has the authority and He's just given us instructions. And He says, it's been given to me. He says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You know, there's a verse that tells us we shouldn't fly in planes. He says, lo, I'm with you always. Christ was leaving this place soon. And continuing His ministry on into Jerusalem. That's the context. This was just a, just a stop on His way to fulfill His ministry in Jerusalem. He was leaving soon and He wanted this man to serve right here where He was in His hometown. This, you see, this man saw the rejection that Christ received from those in His hometown. And Christ provided, this, Christ provided a missionary to this hometown that would be willing to testify the great things of God. This morning, listen, I don't care if every single soul in this church doesn't step up. Let us serve diligently and not worry about everybody else. Let us worry about us because when we stand before God, it will be you, it will be me, by ourselves, standing before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you will receive a great and an awesome reward for all of the effort and the work that you put in to missions. Here in Acts 1.8 it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my disciples in, in both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, in Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. This hometown was this man's Jerusalem. And listen this morning, Seely Lake is our Jerusalem. And we are given each and every person a place in which we can do missions right here in this church starting today all the way to June 28th. It's easy to name. It's, it's another thing. It's, it's easy to name our church. It's easy to name, say that I'm, I'm a part of Mission Bible Fellowship, but it's another thing to live it out. It's another thing to be involved. I want to encourage you that are serving in this church. We could not operate without your help. You are unfathomably valuable to this church. And we are grateful for each one of you and your services. Don't be discouraged as people of service. You keep serving the Lord and praying for those who aren't. And God in His great mercy will step them up and change their heart and give them a desire to serve here in Seely Lake. It doesn't matter what others are doing. Let us live out our name and stop leaning on the same people every month after every month after every year. People get burnt out. We're human. We're fallible. They can't do it all. They need our help. They need to play your part as the body because the toes are tired 
We need some more fingers. We need some more knees. You know, Bill got new knees. He's ready to go, buddy. He told me, you know what? I don't want to have bad knees because I can't serve the Lord anymore with bad knees in the capacity that I want to. That's the kind of passion we need. We need people who are willing to take sacrifices so that they can serve for Christ the greater method. If you're professing, claiming what good things the Lord has done for you here in this town, you are doing well. Keep up the good work. God is pleased. Man might not be pleased. You may never get a pat on the back. But let me tell you, God is pleased. God doesn't miss anything. He sees all things. What about missions? Are you involved in any? You don't have plenty of places for you to serve, loving hearts. Uh, maybe motorcycle ministry and that may be coming up. You can serve village missions as maybe a future pastor. Maybe you can, I mean, oddly enough, maybe one day you can grow up the desire to be a missionary. <laughs> maybe there's a college, Campus Crusade for Christ, that young people who are in college or going to college can get involved in. How about a widow's ministry? Orphan's ministry. You know, Lauren's starting up a ministry that, that helps orphans. If you want to serve in that capacity, talk with Lauren. He'll help you. He'll get you involved. Have you thought about, well, I'm not really interested. No, how about starting your own ministry? Fishing ministry. You know, for seven years I did ministry to fishermen and their families. Great blessing. Great blessing. But a hunting ministry. I got a brother-in-law who serves uh, as a hunting ministry called Crosshairs Outdoor Ministry. They reach outdoorsmen with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How about golfing? Skiing. Snowmobiling. What are you doing to reach people here in City Lake? Because we have a church name. And we want to live up to the expectation of our name and be mission-minded people. Proclaiming great things which God has done for us. We can all do that as Christians. We don't have to know the Bible back and front. Listen, I, I don't know what to tell you. All I can tell you is that I'm a different person. God changed my heart. That's all people need to hear. God has done something good in my life. We all have a testimony for Christians. Christ has commanded us to do so. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. by His authority that we follow His teachings. There is a place for you to serve over the next few weeks. We need your help. We desire your help. We want to work together to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are a part of this mission-minded church, then you should have that desire to serve as well. And you can. We want to give you that opportunity today. Come out. Talk to Bill Campbell. Sandy Cahoon, myself, whoever that's involved with VBS this year. And, and let's, let's, let's get this thing going. And let us begin the process of evangelism and missions right now, this week.
continue to make an impact in this community. It's a great place to invest. The, the pay is, the pay is, uh, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it, but, but, but the benefits are out of this world. Let us pray.